0: And the highest name has set us free. Thanks so much, uh, worship team, church family. How how we doing this morning? Everybody okay out there? Uh, how did how did the first week of school go for you guys who are in school, or maybe parents who have kids in school? Everybody still still alive out there? Everybody still kicking? Whether whether you had a, a good week this past week, or whether maybe. Uh, this week was a, a challenging time, a, a tough time, a, a time of transition. We're together now, even if it's virtually and it's, uh, as always, man, it's just so good to, to be with you. If you happen to be new uh, or visiting, maybe you just kind of stumbled upon our, our live stream or maybe a friend invited you or you're on somebody's, uh, they're, they're hosting a watch party. Just want to say welcome to you. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. So glad that you're here with us. If you have a Bible, please open that up or turn your uh, Bible app on. And head for 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, we're kind of rounding the bend in our Hope in Exile series. So we'll be uh, in there uh, today, in that series today. And then we're going to wrap that series up uh, next Sunday. And then beginning the first Sunday in September, we're going to launch into our fall series called Encounters with Jesus. So we're just going to be looking at all these different encounters that Jesus had relationally with different people. I think it's going to be an incredible series, especially for those who are maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, or perhaps they, they've, they've been wounded by the church, or they used to go to church, they don't go to church anymore. So let me just encourage you to be thinking about maybe somebody you could invite to be a part of that eight-week series starting in, in two weeks, uh, whether they're joining you online or whether you're coming to the outdoor service at 7 p.m on the lawn, it's gonna be a great time to invite a friend, a classmate, a coworker, a neighbor, someone like that. So that's coming up in two weeks. Also wanna let you know, coming up in two weeks is our first worship night of 2020. So that's happening, uh, Mike, is that September 6th? I think so, I think that's the date, two weeks from now, right? All right, so two weeks from now, outside on the lawn, 7 p.m. It's gonna be our first worship night of 2020. I know a lot of you guys have been uh, missing that due to COVID and all that kind of stuff. We haven't been able to do one uh, yet this year, but that's coming up in two weeks. So looking forward to that. Also wanna let you know if you're not on our loop, if you're not tracking with us on social media, we're actually gonna be celebrating the Lord's Supper, our communion at the end of this service. And so if you don't yet have uh, the elements Uh, juice or you know you could substitute that with sweet tea or whatever you need if you don't have juice or some bread or crackers now would be a great time run to the kitchen really quick grab a grab a cup of something to drink uh, and and some bread or crackers and then we're going to celebrate that uh, in just a few minutes at the end of the message all right let me just ask you a question I want to start with a question what do you think of what's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the term church leader like what, what pops into your brain when you hear that, that term or, or church leadership? And I'm going to guess, e- even if you've never been in church or you haven't been in church in a long time, I'm going to guess you probably have a preconceived idea of what a church leader looks like or what, what, they're, what they're about. And if we're being honest, a lot of those kind of first impressions or preconceived ideas of what a church leader, a lot of those ideas aren't really positive so I don't know what you picture when you picture uh, a church leader. I got some, got some pictures I'm going to throw up on the screen just to kind of show you. But maybe you picture the Pope. So maybe when you hear that word church leader, that's kind of what comes into your mind. Or maybe for you, you, you kind of think of a really famous televangelist like, uh, like Joel Osteen, like the million dollar smile, Joel, give me all your money, Osteen. Or maybe you think about somebody like Kenneth Copeland who had this really hilarious and terrifying bit not too long ago where he was supposedly like blowing away the coronavirus. If you want a good laugh, you can look that up on YouTube. But a lot of us have these random, really weird kind of impressions and a lot of them are really negative about what church leaders are. Now on a really serious note, I'm gonna guess with as many people as we have tuned in on a weekly basis, there are probably some of you tuned in right now who have been mistreated at some point in your life by a church leader. Perhaps there's even somebody out there that's been uh, abused at the hands of a, a church leader. Let me just say, if that has been your experience, I am so sorry. That was never God's design for his bride, for the church, for his leader's. And so, look, I, I get why a lot of the views about church leaders, about a church pastors, those types of things, I, I understand why a lot of those ideas tend to be negative. What, but what Peter's going to tell us this morning is that we have to be really careful not to throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater, as it were, because I don't know if you knew this or not, but leadership structure in the church is not a man-made invention, like, it's not something that we invented as leaders here so that people would have to follow whatever we wanted to do. It's not something that, uh, you know, church leaders back a thousand years ago came up to sort of have like a, a power play or control over people. This is actually God's design in His Word for His body, for His people, in order for us to stay and operate in a healthy way. It's God's idea. Now, remember, in this letter, Peter is writing this letter to a group of churches who are exiled, they're suffering, they're under persecution. And this whole time, this whole letter, he's really been encouraging them by reminding them of who they really are, what their identity is. They are, they are elect exiles, right? They are chosen, they are loved by God, and yet they're not, they're, they're not home yet. Right? This world is not gonna, gonna love you. And so he's pointing them to the return of King Jesus. He's teaching them how to live in hard times. And so this entire time, Peter's been talking to the church body at large. But now in chapter five, it's like he turns and he faces the elders or the pastors, the leaders of the church. And he's gonna address them specifically. Now, I think he does this for a couple of reasons. I think the first reason is probably because Man, when when suffering strikes, good leadership is absolutely crucial for any community or movement to survive and flourish, and the church is no different. I think, secondly, in times of persecution, when things get really hard, the leaders of any movement become targets. And so I think Peter understood that the leaders, the shepherds, the guys who were out there leading needed to hear a specific word from him. Because the reality is leading through difficult times can be very disheartening, can be very discouraging at times. And so this is a good word for the leaders of the church. It's also a good word, I think, for the church body at large. Because the reality is you need to know what to look for and what to expect from your leaders. And so as we, as we read this, you should, you should expect these things from your elders, from your pastors here at New Life. You should should expect these things. Now, not only that, anytime Scripture speaks to leaders, those truths are always applicable for every follower of Jesus as well. And so while these things are sort of mandated, this is kind of like the floor. If you're going to be a leader in the church, these are all things that we, as followers of Jesus, ought to be striving for, ought to be chasing after in our lives. And so Peter's going to talk about leadership this morning. He's gonna talk about what godly following of godly leadership looks like. And then he's gonna talk about how important it is for us to clothe all of that, all of our relationships in humility. And this is a good word for us, I think, this morning. It's a good word for our our leaders, our elders. It's a good word for us as a faith family. So let's jump right in, 1 Peter chapter five. We're gonna cover the first five verses of the chapter this morning. And this this is what the apostle Peter writes. He says, so I exhort the elders among you, so he's, he's turning away from the whole church and he's just focusing on the leaders now. He says, I exhort, I challenge the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so again, Peter's turning away from kind of the whole church bodies, pointing his attention, primarily to the elders of the church now now just a quick word for you if you happen to be uh, new to church or maybe i don't know you came from a, a tradition in a church where there was kind of one kingpin leader right you just need to understand that we had new life we believe because we believe the bible teaches this idea of elders plural this idea of a plurality of leaders. And so even for me, maybe especially for me as the lead pastor, you need to understand I'm one of the elders here, I have one voice, I have one vote, right, in the direction and the mission and vision of the church. I am not the king of new life, right? That that role belongs to Jesus and him alone. And we believe that that's a healthy model of church, we believe that that's the New Testament model of church. Also the word elder here that's used in the New Testament is used synonymously with the word that we translate pastor or overseer, sometimes translated bishop. So for you Bible nerds out there, the, the Greek words are presbyteros, poimen, and episkopos, right? Three Greek words, right? Three different functions that all describe the same office in the church. And so every church in the New Testament that we're aware of had a group of leaders, A group, multiple leaders, usually called elders, that were given to the body to help lead the body. Luke describes this process of setting up leaders in the early church for us in Acts chapter 14. So let me just read this to you. I think it's helpful for us as we explore this idea of of church leadership structure, why it's healthy, why it's important. This is what Dr. Luke uh, writes describing the early church. He says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Those were three ancient cities. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Now listen to this, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church... Not in some churches, not in churches that had a preference for that leadership style, he says. And when they had appointed elders for them in every single church, all the whole early church movement, apparently each of them were led by a group of elders. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So also understand this, the word elder, a lot of times people think, well, that means, that means older, Right, because that's kind of how we use it in our culture. But in a biblical context, it really doesn't refer to age at all. It refers to spiritual maturity. In fact, most, most scholars believe the disciples, the apostles, even early church leaders like Timothy and Titus were very, very young. Most scholars believe they were probably in their 20s, at, at the very most, maybe in their 30s. And so this refers not to age, uh, it refers to spiritual maturity. And so on our elder team, you'll see a variety of a different man that serve in that role. This is a very multi-generational group. Like we've, got, we've got young dudes who serve as elders. We've got middle-aged guys. And then we have more, more seasoned, mature men that serve on our elder team as well. And I think that's good. I think that's, that's healthy. That's the way that it ought to be. Now, notice also that Peter addresses the elders or the leaders of the church in a way that really begins to model for us humility. Now, you've got to remember the apostle Peter was he, was, he was an apostle, right? He was, he was one of the, the big dogs in the early church movement. He had been personally discipled by Jesus himself for three and a half years, was one of Jesus' best friends. He helped kind of form and shape the strategy of the early church. He's a guy actually writing scripture and he lowers himself when he talks to these elders and goes, hey, listen, guys, I'm, I'm a fellow elder. I'm just, I'm I'm one of you guys. I know what it's like. I know how hard it is to, to lead through hard times. I know what it's like to stumble and fall. And I know what it's like for Jesus to redeem and restore and renew. And if you know anything about Peter's story, you know how true that was for him. This is just an incredible show of humility from the apostle Peter as he writes these leaders who would have been struggling mightily to lead these early churches. Now we know from the collective writings of the New Testament right, Second Timothy, Titus, other places, that the primary role of elders in the church is really kind of threefold. Primary role of the elders is to lead, feed, and protect the flock, right? That's, that's, what, that's what good shepherds do. They, they lead their sheep, they feed their sheep, and they protect their sheep, right? They go to, through uh, extreme measure. They even sacrifice themselves to care for their flock. If you've studied even modern day nomadic cultures, this is kind of what they do. Shepherds are out in the elements. They sleep with their sheep in the heat, the cold, the rain. They are constantly fighting off vicious predators. They walk miles and miles and miles to bring their sheep to new water sources and food sources, right? So, man, this picture of a shepherd is really a beautiful picture of what church leaders ought to be, the way God designed church leaders to be and to function. And so we see these kind of three roles of a church leader in scripture over and over and over again, leading, feeding, and protecting. So let me give you quickly just kind of three examples of that in the New Testament, leading, feeding, and protecting, then we'll kind of move on with what Peter is trying to get across. So first thing in Acts chapter six, you remember that story, Um, The early church is, is exploding, right? I mean, they're just seeing all kinds of people come to faith in Jesus. And at this point, of course, Jesus was resurrected. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. People are hearing about this story. People are believing there are miracles happening. The church is growing. Thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. And right in the middle of all of this awesome, crazy, cool stuff happening in the early church, crisis emerged. Right as it all almost always seems to do, right when when things are going well and things are kind of humming along and things seem like they're going perfectly, there always seems to be a crisis, and there was no different in the early church. And so for them, the crisis was some widows were being cared for well, and then there were other widows in the church that were actually being neglected. And so this created a a rift, this created division within the church. And so the leaders of the church led through that crisis, if you go back to Acts 6, by this incredible, brilliant idea of creating a new office in the church called deacons. And this new office, these these new believers, they were supposed to serve the body. They were supposed to lead in service, and they were going to take care of the widows and all these different things in the church body so that the apostles, the church elders, could focus on preaching and teaching and prayer. It was brilliant, but they they found a way to lead through crisis. Listen, you should expect your church leaders to lead through crisis. Now listen, you you may not always agree with every decision that we make. Listen, I I disagree with myself at least 60% of the time, but the point is leaders lead. Leaders are not paralyzed by fear. Leaders are constantly moving forward, right? And so you should expect your church leaders to lead, especially through times of crisis. That's what shepherds do, they lead. The second thing is that shepherds are to feed the sheep. They're to feed the flock. There's this fascinating story in John 21 where Jesus has, as at this point, he's risen from the dead. Some disciples, including Peter, that are out on a boat fishing. This morning time. I guess they'd probably been out there all night. And they spot this guy on the shore. And they don't recognize him at first. They get a little bit closer. And John recognizes Jesus. And he, he kind of points it out to Peter. He's like, hey, Peter, that's Jesus over there. And so Peter, being Peter, right, doesn't wait for the boat to go into shore. He actually dives into the water and swims 100 yards to Jesus and he gets there and Jesus has got this fire going he's got fish going he's got some bread on the fire He's cooking them breakfast and I don't know what you had for breakfast, but I promise you It wasn't as good as having a breakfast cooked by Jesus himself right on the seashore right there over the open flame It would have been beautiful to be there, but they they're there with Jesus They're eating breakfast with Jesus and as they finish eating There's this fascinating scene where Jesus looks to Peter and he says Peter. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter looks at Jesus, he says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Jesus looks at Peter a second time and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, you just asked me that question. Yeah, I just told you, yeah, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Peter looks at, and Jesus looks at Peter again, and he says, tend my sheep, nourish my sheep. And Jesus looks at Peter a third time and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, at this point, he's hurt. He's like, what do you, Jesus, what are you, what are you talking about? I've already told you two times that I love you. I've left everything in my life to follow you. What do you mean? You know all things, Lord. You know my heart. You know my thoughts. So what do you, Of course I love you. And Jesus looks at him a third time and he says, feed my sheep. And Jesus was just, driving home, he was just hammering home the point that, hey listen, I'm about to launch the most powerful, revolutionary movement this world has ever seen, the church. The gates of hell are not gonna prevail against my people. And Peter, your role as a leader in my movement is to feed my sheep. That is your primary role, feed my people. Give them my living word. Nourish them. Alright? So we just kind of see this pattern over and over again. Church leaders, the early church movement, they, they led the sheep, they fed the sheep, and then there's also this incredibly really a heartbreaking a statement in Matthew seven from Jesus. This is what he says in Matthew seven. He says, Beware, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus saying, hey, listen, there's gonna be people among you, they, they look like sheep. They claim to be sheep. They're a part of the flock. They're a part of the body. Maybe even they've deceived themselves, and they think they're sheep, but that's not really who they are. Because inwardly, who they really are is ravenous wolves. And so church leaders, knowing this and taking these words of Jesus seriously, are to protect the sheep from these wolves, Now, oftentimes what this looks like, how it plays out in real life, church world is is really tough, uncomfortable conversations. Occasionally, this even looks like church discipline, right? Protecting the sheep from wolves as elders, as pastors is never fun. It's, it's never pleasant. Like, I didn't wake up one day as a kid and think, man, I, I just want to have a life of confronting people and having really uncomfortable, awkward conversations with people and having them get angry at me and mad at me. Listen, but Jesus is saying, this is necessary. If you want to lead my people, if you want to shepherd my flock, you have to protect them because there are gonna be wolves that come in among the sheep. I recall uh, many years ago, I've had the, had the privilege and, Ah, 14, 15 years of vocational ministry of serving in kind of three uh, distinct different ministries or, or churches. And I can remember an instance where we, we had a person who was actually a, a member of our church and they were out there and they were just kind of pushing false doctrine. And they were in some leadership positions and we kind of got word of this and they were kind of teaching some things that we just didn't, dis- we just didn't agree with as, as a church. And we were patient with this person and we confronted this person. We, we pled with them, hey, hey, please. Please turn from this, please, please repent from this. We can't, we can't have you teaching this because it's not biblical. And this person just had a, a really rebellious, kind of almost angry attitude towards the leaders, the elders of the church. And we pled some more and we begged to meet. And eventually we had to remove this person from the church body. Why? To, to protect the flock, That wasn't fun, it's never fun, it's not pleasant, very stressful, lost a lot of sleep over this whole situation, but this is our calling as shepherds. If we love Jesus, if we love his people, we love the flock, part of our role is to protect. And listen, you should expect this from your leaders. You should expect this, you should demand this even, from your elders and your pastors. You should hope that if you fall out of line one day that your elders, your church leaders would love you enough to come to you and sit down with you and say, listen, brother, listen, sister, we love you, but we see that you are going straight for a train wreck in your life. Please turn around, please don't do this. We love you too much to see you destroy your family or destroy your reputation or wreck your life. You should expect your leaders to have those uncomfortable conversations with you. That's our role, leading, feeding, protecting. Now, Peter's going to tell us exactly how those things should look in the context of a local church. So how, how leadership, godly leadership should be fleshed out in practical ways. Look at verse two. He says to these leaders, to the elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. This is the, the leadership component that we talked about. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So the very first thing that Peter challenges these elders, these church leaders to in their leading, and what every church should expect from their leaders is that we will not lead under compulsion, but willingly. Willingly, so I wanna give you three expectations of shepherds just that we get right here from the Apostle Peter. And number one is that shepherds are to lead with a humble heart of willingness. Shepherds are to lead with a humble heart of willingness. There should just kind of be like this sense in which church leaders serve and sacrifice for the flock with a happy eagerness, with a happy eagerness. So listen, if you, if you ever hear one of our pastors or one of our elders just kind of go like, oh man, it's, it's almost Sunday again. I gotta, I gotta go lead these stupid sheep again. I gotta go teach. I gotta go correct them. I gotta go to church and lead again. Listen, if you ever hear one of us with that attitude, you have my permission to just like slap us in the face or punch us in the throat or something like that because that is not what we're called to, right? This is not a we have to thing. This is a we get to thing. Uh, one of my preaching professors, Dr. Tonya Morita, likes to say that church leaders ought to be happy, holy, and humble people. I love that. Church leaders ought to be happy, holy, and humble people. That's what you should expect from your church leaders, man. There there should never be kind of this sense of drudgery that you sense from your church leaders. Like, man, I got to go shepherd these annoying sheep again. No. No, I get to. That's a privilege. Listen, I, I, I I love new life. I love you guys. I love the flock that God has allowed me to be a part of leading and serving. It is a joy. Man, I wake up on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys, even virtually, but even especially seven o'clock service where I actually get to see some of your faces. When I'm not here, like last week, my, my dad preached Man, I miss it. I needed time off, enjoyed some time with my family, but I, I miss being here. You should expect that from your leaders, willing, glad, Leadership, not under compulsion. It's a privilege, not a drudgery, ever. Now, again, this is something that's not just for leaders. It's a requirement for your leaders. But this is something that all of us, if you say you love Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, you're, you, you want to follow him with your life, this is something that we all ought to be striving after, not just leaders. So I'm just, listen, if you wake up on Sunday morning, you're like, dang, man, I gotta go get ready, gotta go to church or Tuesday night rolls around or whenever your small group meets, you're like, ah, dang, man, we got small group tonight and gotta get ready for that or the end of the month comes and you get your paycheck and it's time for you to just practice biblical generosity with your finances and you're like, oh, man, I don't wanna give that money to the Lord. It's just kind of a drudgery. Listen, if that is your attitude in any of these areas of spiritual discipline, I'm just telling you, that's that's a red flag. That's a red flag that should kind of go off in your mind to say there's something off kilter in my walk with Jesus that I need to kind of Peel down the layers, begin to explore and see what's going on in my heart. Because if we are leading and we are following rightly in Jesus' kingdom, this should all be life-giving for us. I'm not saying it's going to be easy always. In fact, a lot of times it's really, really hard, but it should be life-giving. It's not a drudgery to follow Jesus in his ways. Now, here's here's a second way you should expect your leaders to shepherd you in a healthy church. The first way is, man, you should just expect your leaders to lead with a humble heart of willingness. Second way, look at the end of verse two. Peter says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. Now this is is a big one, I think in our day and age especially. Can't we all think of examples of pastors who just tend to lead with the wrong motives and for the wrong reasons? Now let me stop and say here, Peter's not saying that pastors should never be compensated or supported by their churches. Paul is clear in places like 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18 and other places that when possible, it's actually a good thing for church to free up their shepherds to lead and teach and all those things. It's a good thing. It's a right thing. But what Peter is saying here is that in his day, as in our day, there are those in ministry whose motive in leading is not pure. That their motive is greed. And we're not just talking about greed for money here, although it certainly can be that. We're talking about greed for power, greed for recognition, or clout in the church body, or the, the greater community. The point is, listen, if, you're, if your motive in leading in the church isn't to honor Jesus, it's not to shepherd his sheep, you have no business leading in his church. None at all. So here's the deal, when you, when you hear a pastor on TV or, or in person talking about, hey, listen, you need to just sow, sow some seeds of faith into my ministry and man, just send me that last $1,000 that you have in your bank account or go ahead and max out your credit card, that last $500 you got on your credit card, just go ahead and max that out, send that to me, sow that in faith to my ministry and God, listen, I'm telling you, God's gonna bless you a hundredfold. If you just give me this money, then God's gonna bless you a hundredfold and one day you're gonna have a big fancy house and you're gonna have a few vacation homes just like me and you're gonna drive a brand new BMW or Mercedes around. And all the while this guy's driving around in his brand new Bentley and flying around in his private jet to all his vacation homes. Listen, that is, that is shameful gain. Dude's getting rich off the backs of poor, vulnerable people. Look, I, I just... I have to think there is a special place in hell for guys just like that. And so here's, here's what Peter is saying. Number two, this is what you should expect from your leaders. Number two, they ought to be leading with the right motives. Not only should they lead willingly with a humble heart, they ought to be leading with the right motives. Now again, this is, this is sound advice for every follower of Jesus. Why? Because this is ultimately, God. listen, this is a heart issue. So we, we, could, we could ask any follower of Jesus the same question. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why, why do you serve in the church? Why, why do you lead a small group? Why do you serve in kids ministry or youth ministry or, or the worship team? Or why do you give financially? Is it to honor God? Is it to help other people find and follow Jesus? Is it to make disciples, to expand the kingdom of Jesus? Or is it so people will see you? and respect you, and pat you on the back, and say, man, you're so awesome, and recognize you. Peter's saying, believer, and especially leaders in the church, make sure your heart is in the right place. Make sure your heart and your motives are in the right place, and listen, you should expect that from your leaders, church. You should expect that from us, and if you ever, ever sense in us a wrong motive, that there's kind of a power play and we're trying to be domineering to get our way or there's some kind of financial thing or we're trying to get greedy or rich or something like that. We're trying to lead for any kind of shameful gain. Listen, please come talk to us. Don't, don't just leave, disappear. Come challenge us, man. We, because we cannot lead the people of God when our hearts are in the wrong place. All right? So lastly, kind of uh, the three expectations of the shepherd. One is to we lead willingly with a humble heart. Second, right motives. And then number three, he gives us in verse three, he says, not domineering. How many church leaders have we heard of even recently in the news have just been kind of jerks? Just domineering, controlling, jerks, right? Verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now here's what Peter's driving at. Elders, pastors, church leaders, are you living a life that is worth repeating by other people? Are you, are you living a life that, and this isn't a word, but are you living a life that's imitatable, that other people can, can imitate? See, far too often, I think church leaders have lived by the motto, do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. And so the church in many cases has been been crippled by leaders who talk a good game, but actually don't walk it out in real life. And so what happens is you end up with powerless leaders in the church who are frauds. And they're not authentic and they're not genuine because they don't practice what they preach. And so they destroy the very message that they teach with phony lives. And so the final charge to the elders from Peter is simply this, number three, you should expect this from your leaders. He says, leaders, you need to be leading by example. You need to be leading with your lives. In other words, don't don't be domineering Don't don't abuse your authority. Don't, Don't ask people to do what you haven't already done yourself. Like the apostle Paul said, man, we ought to be able to say as leaders to the flock that God has entrusted to us, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. We ought to be able to say that in all sincerity. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And so listen, before I as a lead pastor can ever get up here and ask you to whatever, you fill in the blank, ask you to be generous with your finances, guess what I have to be practicing myself first? I've got to be practicing generous financial giving into the kingdom of God before I can ask you to do that. Or at least I, sh- I should, right? Before I ask you to join a community group, guess what I've got to be involved in myself? A community group. How much credibility would I have if I got up here and said, guys, God's design is for us to live in community. None of us were meant to be lone rangers. We need other relationships in God's kingdom to, to thrive in our relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, that's for y'all, but not me. I'm a pastor, you know. I'm kind of kind of holy. I don't really need it, but for all y'all peasants out there, y'all need to be in a community group. I can't do that and have any credibility. So I'm I'm in a community group. Before I ever ask you guys to take a mission trip, I have to be willing to go on mission. I take a mission trip every single year. Before I challenge you guys to get to know your neighbors and invite your neighbors to church and invite your neighbors to your small group, invite them over to your house to have a meal. Listen, I got to be doing that in my own neighborhood as should all of our elders and all of our pastors. We, we lead with our lives, not just with our words. That's what Peter is saying here. Now, let me, let me pause just briefly for a moment and say that this is not a charge from Peter for perfection from your leaders, our sinless, sinlessness from your leaders. We, we, need, we need to give our leaders room to be human. Right? I think sometimes we swing the pendulum too far the other way and there's, there's no grace there's no mercy and so leaders kind of burn out and fizzle out of ministry or whatever it is. Your leaders are, are human, we are still sinners, we are, we are fallen, we make mistakes, we need your grace, we need your forgiveness all the time. There's gotta be room for us to kind of work out our fallenness as leaders and, and not feel like we gotta pretend that we've got it all together when we really don't because spoiler alert, we don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. Our pastoral team doesn't have it all together. Our elder team doesn't have it all together all the time. Listen, we, we have struggles at times in our marriages just like you do. We have hard weeks with our kids just like you do. We have stretches in our spiritual journeys where maybe we're not in the word as consistently as we need to be or in prayer like we ought to be just like you do. And there needs to be humility and grace in the body of Christ, even for leaders. But the overarching trajectory of our lives as leaders should be that we are setting the pace for the body. That we are not perfectly, but that we are doing our best to lead by example. Living out what we preach and teach. Anything that we ask you to do, you have every right to expect that we are striving to do that in our own lives. Not perfectly, but again, we are modeling anything we challenge you with. Because listen, any, any leader who is not leading by example has no credibility. And so listen, I'm, I'm just telling you, if, I, if a day comes, God forbid, where I get up here and I start preaching another gospel, a false gospel, if I come up here one day and I start saying, hey, guys, you need to send in your $500 check to my personal fund so I can buy a private jet and I can have a vacation home. And listen, if you want God to love you, you got to do all these things to earn God's sake. If I get up here and start preaching another gospel one day, or if you hear that I've abandoned my family and kind of run off with a 20-year-old secretary, listen to me. On that day, you need to stop listening to me. You need to remove me as an elder of the church, you need to remove me as a pastor, because listen, God expects His leaders to lead by example. We can't just preach things with our mouths and then not live them out in our lives. I cannot lead what I'm not living myself, and neither can you. And so how the elders lead is this kind of threefold way of humility, leading with love, leading by example, with the right motives. Now, what's the reward for this? Look at verse four. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears at Jesus, when Jesus comes back, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I don't, I don't know what that looks like, the unfading crown of glory, but I'm guessing it's pretty cool. Like, I, I don't know what that looks like, what it's gonna be like, but I know I, I want that. I want that unfading crown of glory on my head. And of course, as Revelation says, we'll all one day lay our crowns before the feet of Jesus. But I, listen, I, I want that reward. I want to look into the eyes of Jesus one day and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And bam, he's got this glowing, radiant crown, just puts that on my head. I want to experience that. I want that. And I'm all about that. And Peter's just kind of teaching this this truth that's all throughout the scriptures that there is reward for obedience in God's kingdom. That's true for leaders in this church. That's true for all of us who are followers of Jesus. There is reward for obedience in God's kingdom. Now, if that's how the elders and pastors are to lead the church, right, with, with humility, with, with love, with the right motives, leading with their lives by example. If that's how we are to lead, how then should the church respond to that kind of godly leadership in the church? Look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject. It literally means submit to or follow. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. So now he shifts and he looks at the whole church. Elders and church body. So he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the response, the right response from the church body as elders humbly lead is they respond by humbly following their lead. Now Peter specifically mentions those who are who are younger here that they should be sure to follow the godly leaders that he places in the church. Now, why does, why does Peter single out young people here or young believers here? I'm not exactly sure. I, my, my best guess is that youthful angst, apparently it's not a new thing in our culture. This was going on back in Peter's day as well, right? I don't wanna paint with too broad a brush here, but I think just as a general rule, younger people tend to struggle more with authority right? That's true in our day. I think that was true 2,000 years ago. Younger people tend to struggle more with following leaders. I think as most people get older, we kind of mature, we realize there's some, there's some wisdom in that. But is saying, hey, listen, young Christians, hey, teen who, who loves Jesus, hey, college student, hey, young professional, listen, God has given you these shepherds for your good, And no, they're not always gonna get it right. No, they're not perfect, but it is God's design for you to follow them and listen to them in as much as they're following and listening to Jesus. And this is for your good. This is for your benefit. So as elders follow Jesus, as elders follow the Bible, the church is supposed to follow the elders as they follow Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. This is how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Listen to this. He says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now listen, if there's any verse that tends to keep me awake at night, it's this one. Listen, we know that we're gonna have to give an account one day to Jesus for how we led, how we fed, and how we protected you, new life, our church family spiritually. We know we're held to a higher standard. We'll stand before the King of Kings one day. We will give an account for how we led you. Now I just want to tell you, I want to let you know, your your leaders here at New Life are we're not perfect. None of us are. We're not perfect. But what I can tell you, with no doubt in my mind, is that your leaders at this church love Jesus and they love you. And the only way this whole church thing really works well is this dance of leading and following with humility. And that's why Peter closes by saying, listen, all of y'all. Now, he's not just talking to the elders. He's talking to the elders and the whole church body. And he's saying, all y'all, all all y'all clothe yourselves, do the leading and do the following with humility with one another. Why? Because he says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about where you're at on this, but I don't want God to oppose me. I wanna receive God's grace in my life. And Peter's saying, if you don't want God to oppose you, if you want him to give you grace, you need to be involved in this church body life with humility. Leaders leading, church body following the leaders as they follow Jesus. Now, let's make it practical, then we'll be done. What this means in practice, as I understand it, is that if you're in a church where the leaders, imperfect as they are, broken as they are, but if you're in a church where the leaders authentically love Jesus, and they're doing their dead-level best to follow the Bible, and they love the church body, and they lay out a path forward for your spiritual growth, what this means is you should follow it. You should follow them. As long as it's biblical, it's biblical. You should follow it. And so if your elders or your pastors or your church leaders say to you, hey, listen, to be a part of our church, we want you to do just a few things. We want you to become a member of our church so we know who we're shepherding. We want you to be involved in community life. So get involved in a community group. We want you to to give generously so we can impact the kingdom here in Asheville and around the world. And we we want you to use your spiritual gifts. So find somewhere in this city or this church to serve. Use your spiritual gifts, which by the way is what your elders here at New Life ask of you. If you've ever been through our Journey 201 membership class, you know that. So if what your elders are doing is asking you to do biblical things that are for your good, what Peter's saying, you ought to follow them. You ought to follow your leaders as they follow Scripture. It's very plain and simple. Very easy and yet hard, right? As we get ready to wrap up and celebrate communion, let me close with this. Your church leaders, all of us, your earthly shepherds will let you down. I promise you, you hang around long enough, I will let you down. I will hurt your feelings. I will step on your toes. I will tick you off. So will the other elders here, the other pastors here, especially guys like Mark Carlson and Mike Watkins. I mean, they will, they will let you down big time. I might let you down a lot. They'll let you down a lot more than me, right? But, but here's, here's the good news. According to the scriptures, there is a chief shepherd who will never let you down. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in in John chapter 10. We'll finish with this. This is what Jesus says. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. He's going, guys, we have an enemy. He wants to destroy your life. He says, I came that they, who's the they? It's us, it's the followers of Jesus, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Listen, there is a shepherd friend who came for you, who came to rescue you because he loves you. So I just wanna say, if you're out there, you're tuned in right now, and you don't know this shepherd, this king who came on a rescue mission for you, the shepherd who will never leave you, forsake you, or fail you, I just wanna say, man, let's talk about it. If you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you haven't submitted your life to him, let us know. Reach out, let us know. We'd love to chat with you about what it would look like for you to begin that journey with Jesus. But church, listen, let's humbly play our part as his church and follow the chief shepherd. We're gonna celebrate Jesus now as our chief shepherd as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so if you're at home, let me encourage you, go ahead and grab your, your juice or whatever drink you have, grab your cracker, your bread, I'm gonna pray, and then we're, we're gonna celebrate together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for not leaving us just to kind of figure out what you want us to do, how you want us to organize your body, the church, that you've given us very specific instructions, the way we are to organize ourselves, the way we are to lead your people, the way we are to follow. God, will you teach us to walk in that with a great sense of humility, all of us, God, to live humble lives as we both lead and we follow in your body. God, would you teach us that our ultimate hope is not in any man or woman. Our ultimate hope is in the chief shepherd himself, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. The shepherd who never leaves, never abandons his sheep. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for new life in him, for the hope that we have now in this life and the one to come because of his perfect life lived on our behalf, his death, paid the ransom for our sin, God, and his beautiful resurrection. We just wanna say we love you. We pray all these things in the name of the good shepherd, Jesus, amen.